Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Well, happy Friday. And uh, Friday is in the political world, uh, sometimes known as the take out the trash day, uh, which just means that a lot of times going into the weekend news cycle, there's not a lot of things that uh, the the mainstream headlines, if they're really looking to make a big splash, uh, want to talk about. And so sometimes Friday on this show can be a fun time to talk about other cultural topics that are more broad than getting into uh, the weeds on some of the political news of the week. And so I wanted to highlight uh, first this story from People, yes, People magazine. Wayne Brady comes out as pansexual. Quote, I'm doing this for me. This is an exclusive piece from People because it's that important, apparently, according to them. So if you don't know who Wayne Brady is, um, then you'll appreciate the Babylon Bee headline that said uh, Wayne Brady comes out as needing attention, which I think is the more apt headline here. And I, I laughed so hard. I love our friends at the Babylon Bee. Uh, So if you don't know who Wayne Brady is, um, he is one of the Hollywood celebrities who was on uh, Let's Make a Deal as a host. He was also on uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, Some of those things that really, you know, we, nobody should be watching anyways, but... uh, But he is a celebrity and apparently did need attention because he opened up about his long road to self-discovery and how his daughter and his ex-wife are showing him acceptance. He says, I love all people equally, and now that includes myself. So apparently... A pansexual, um, even though there were a lot of really great memes um, talking about like kitchen appliances and some things, that's not what he means by pansexual. Um, on the whole uh, spectrum of uh, sexual attraction or sexual orientation, apparently, pansexual means that he's attracted to persons regardless of their sex or gender. So he says, um, I am bisexual with an open mind. Um, so this is just more on the the entire cultural um, mantra and the leftist agenda to completely pervert and confuse everything regarding human sexuality. So how does he even know uh, what the sex or gender of a person is according to the left, right? I mean, if anybody can wake up according to Neil deGrasse Tyson that we talked about uh, earlier on this show can just say, well, somebody can consider themselves 80% male, 20% female today. Well, then how does he even know who's he, who he's attracted to? And this, if you, if you remember, there was um, there were a few other celebrities years ago. And I don't remember who they were. I just remember the headlines saying that um, you know, they were coming out as pansexual because they didn't want to discriminate um, against who they're attracted to. And I'm thinking everybody does that. Everyone should do that, but everyone does that because um, they, of course, they're going to uh, discriminate if if the person has, for example, a sexually transmitted disease, if they have, uh, you know, anything else that is disfavorable in the eyes of the person about them, of course, they're going to discriminate. But 
discrimination is not actually always a bad thing. In fact, discrimination, um, according to the Bible, um, can and should be a good thing. We should rightly divide truth from error. We should discriminate, have discriminating taste. That used to be something, uh, you know, back in even just a few years ago, that being a person of discriminating taste meant that uh, you are a person with higher standards. And so the left has made this term discrimination always a bad thing. Instead of putting discrimination where it actually should be, Uh, There are forms of illegal discrimination, but then there are very good forms of discrimination. When you go to a restaurant and you order one thing, you're discriminating against every other thing on the menu. But guess what? That's okay. That's why we have uh, choices and options. That's also why we have standards. And so when we're talking about this whole ridiculous notion of pansexuality, it is just another thing that is meant to completely confuse and pervert human sexuality, which is the biblical worldview of human beings made in the image of God, having inherent dignity and worth. And for people like Wayne Brady, who want to come out as all these other kinds of crazy deviant things, I agree with Babylon B. All he's looking for is attention. And the only attention we should be giving him is calling out that false ideology and saying, this is absolutely ridiculous. We need to stick to the truth. So we'll be right back with more on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. And a question that you may not have contemplated is what does fashion have to do with politics? What does fashion have to do with worldview? Well, maybe if you've seen the recent Barbie movie, you think everything because fashion, of course, interacts with culture. But if that's a question you haven't really thought a lot about, my guest today has some very interesting theories and discussion points. He is an anon, meaning that he has an anonymous account and goes by a necktie, which is uh, his moniker on social media. Of course, we like to keep people who want to keep their identity hidden. Of course, they can come on the show anonymously, but you're definitely going to want to hear what he has to say about fashion and how that influences and actually evidences what we think about culture and what we think about God. Stay tuned for this. All right. So joining me now is Necktie Salvage, who is, of course, an anonymous account, uh, but also talks about how style affects culture and politics, how fashion can be used to change society for better or worse. And I think this is a really interesting concept because we all see how fashion uh, does affect culture and how Culture, of course, uh, is upstream from politics, which, of course, I would say that culture is downstream from worldview. So, uh, Necktie, what is your overall premise and and how did you uh, actually get involved in even talking about this particular aspect of culture? Well, style, style, clothing, aesthetics, they represent culture. They are a, a face of our culture. This comes to personal aesthetics and broader aesthetics collective aesthetics as well. When it comes to our style, our style, we reveal something about what we believe, our values. It says something about our personal values, about our group values. And when we look around today, when you look at what we see in terms of how men dress, because I focus on men's clothing, 
But when we look at how men dress today, what does it reveal about our civilization and about our trajectory? Does it say something positive? Does it say something high? Or does it say something low? And that is what animates me in this project. It is this idea of a higher version of man, a higher image of man, because what we see today in our culture is a very low image. It's not an image of man in a scent. It's not an image of our civilization in a scent. It is cultureless and it degrades man, in fact. And so when I talk about aesthetics and style, I'm talking about the spiritual thrust of man and our civilization. Hmm. And so are you, um, are you a Christian or what, what is your worldview in terms of the spiritual aspect and, and nature? Well, I'm uh, traditionally religious, obviously. And so there's obviously mm-hmm. a uh, deep a religious aspect to all of this. I'm traditional Jewish. And so okay. much of my ideas are rooted in this, are rooted in my faith and rooted about this idea of different forms of man and woman and how we represent mm-hmm. those different forms. And we are, we are created in the image of God and we are not beast. Man is different. And so there's a lot of layers to this. Oftentimes, oftentimes people will think about styles being a materialistic thing. It's not. It's actually a deeper thing. We're getting to an idea about what it says about us. And we are not beast. We're not animal. We wear clothing. Clothing itself is civilization because we're covering up, uh, we're covering up ourselves. There is this religious uh, element to this. What are about dignity? And that's why when I talk about clothing and I talk about man's presentation, I talk about every man. I don't talk about just one sliver of men, but I talk about the broader idea about man's dignity and the, the dignity of man himself. And our clothing can either elevate us or degrade us. And what we see mm-hmm. today, and we see it across our culture, we see a totally beat down man and a totally beat down spirit. And that is related to our clothing. It's like a cycle. It's like chicken or egg, you know, it, it, uh, it, uh, it, it re reaffirms itself and it keeps going in a cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you're absolutely right that the Bible does speak to the dignity of uh of man and the cultural aspect of um of clothing and i mean even in in the old testament with uh what the priests would wear to distinguish them from uh from everyone else in society and and there is an inherent dignity to uh what we do with our bodies that uh culture now is trying to degrade and there is an artistic value as well we we know inherently that there's a difference between uh, beauty versus something that is is not beautiful and and is ugly and perverse and um and so that that aspect of how clothing and style um is cultural i think is really fascinating and so what we're seeing today in culture um and you're talking specifically about men um is the effeminization really of men and you know all of these um the the ways that young men are taught to dress and act and look in my view as a woman I don't find that attractive at all because I think that men are being encouraged to to be effeminate to be queer to be anything other than masculine men yeah so I, what I, it, yeah go ahead absolutely well, I completely agree with you and 
whether it's Deuteronomy 22.5 or that we're talking about, as you said, the specific high priest, what he would wear in this sort of formality, the Bible is very concerned with what we wear and how we present ourselves and not only setting uh, role, but also the distinction between man and woman. And what you're talking about with how men are taught to dress today by our society, it's what we see is a total androgynous slop is what I see is we see no distinction. It's a melting down of forms. And there's this absolutely fascinating thing. Go back to our grandparents' generation, the greatest generation or before. The idea that, because sometimes I'll encounter guys who say, oh, I shouldn't care about how I look, whatever. No, 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 no. They are essentially turning themselves over into the slop, into the androgynous slop that our society is pushing onto them. If you go back to our grandfather's generation or before, men took care to present themselves in a way that was decent and dignified. And it was a way which reaffirmed a strong image of man, whether it's suits, whether it's sport coats, whether it's distinct garments and distinct wear that reaffirmed them culturally uh, in terms of their culture and themselves as men. But today we see this boiling down of forms, this destroying of forms into this just androgynous bubbling slop. And when men say, well, I don't, I don't care about how I dress. I shouldn't care about how I dress. We don't have to care about how we dress. That is dead wrong. And they're just lowering themselves into the thrust of our society, which is just right down to the basement. Mm, and, and I'm speaking with uh, Necktie Salvage, who is, of course, an anonymous account, but you can follow him on social media at Necktie Salvage. And um, this this is a really fascinating viewpoint that that I think is it transcends any particular culture because in every culture, regardless of, you know, when this, whether this is ancient or whether this is modern, there was always a differentiation and distinction between what women looked like and dressed like and what men looked like and dressed like. And so for the critic who might say, well, look back at, you know, maybe the, the Roman empire where everybody wore robes. And so there wasn't really this distinction. Um, that I think is a faulty presumption because there was always a measurable difference between what is masculine versus what is feminine. Even if that looks different based on the time period or the culture, you can always go back, even in art and literature and, and paintings, um, you can see and, and readily identify the difference between a man versus a woman. But as, as you're pointing out, that's what our society currently and our culture is trying to break apart and trying to completely eviscerate is this measurable difference between the dignity and ultimately the image of God that the Bible tells us in Genesis 1. He made them male versus female. And yeah. so how do you respond to the critic that says, well, this is just totally cultural. And so these ideas of of masculine versus feminine are just social constructs. That's, uh, yeah, this is obviously ridiculous. So as you said very eloquently, different cultures in different times of history have different garments which signify man or woman or different modes of beautification which signify man or woman. And when they don't, this is obviously a time of, this is not a culture that is <laughs> anything worthy of emulating because often people will cite, oh, what about this culture? I don't care about that culture. <laughs> you know, like they're like, oh, what about some uh, far off dust distant culture that was in total degeneration and that was just this wicked culture? Yeah, I don't care about that culture. 
like you said, we're going back to the Bible here. And if you, and let's set the Bible aside, still we'll go to the majority of any society that we will find throughout history. You have this differentiation. The garments may change, but the signal that the garments signify, which is a separate and distinct form of man and woman, that is eternal. So we have like, for example, the kilt, the kilt is a unique garment of a specific people in a specific place. It's not a dress. That's not a skirt. That's a kilt. That's something of a specific place. In our society, women wear pants, but women don't wear men's suits. Mm-hmm. There's, we all know what's going on here. Whenever people try to get you wrapped up in this stupid myopic game where they try to say, well, actually, this, what about this? What about this? No, no, no. We know exactly what's going on. There are shared garments between men and women. Of course, women have shirts. Men have shirts. Women will wear pants. Men wear pants. Some people might not. Some different uh, religious sects might not want women to wear pants, but many women wear pants. So this, we could say this is a shared garment. We all know that when a man puts on a dress, we know what's going on there. This is not some, oh, well, actually in history, we know what it is. It's an attempt to subvert and destroy forms. We know what the situation is when a woman puts on a man's suit. We know what's going on. And so whenever people try to poke holes in this argument, it's all hinging on the presumption that you're not going to tell the rules of the game, which is that we're supposed to ignore what's really going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I find it fascinating that the very same people who say that masculine versus feminine is a social construct and that there is no difference between any of these garments, then want to buck that same system by having the man who has facial hair and, and yeah. a mustache wear a dress that is obviously exactly. feminine. And exactly. so the it's implicit in the garments. And even though there are uh, some types of garment, the type itself, whether it's pants or shirt, as as you've said, um, can be men versus women. The way that it's worn, the type is very clearly masculine versus feminine. And this this transcends across cultures, as we've been talking about, that the, the garments that identified women as feminine versus men as masculine regardless of what was unique to that culture or or how the styles have progressed throughout history, there's always been that clear differentiation. And women have looked feminine, beautiful, soft, you know, all of these mm-hmm. things that make women women. And men have looked strong, powerful, and all of these things that make them masculine. And exactly. so um so what is it what is it that that men in particular, since you're primarily speaking to men, um, that they should take away from looking at our current culture and the way that we are trying to blur the lines, um, even with things like athletic wear, like I just find it mm-hmm. so lazy when, you know, what happened to the men that want to dress in power suits? <laughs> what happened to the men that want to, you know, look, look strong and look powerful. And then, you know, they just sit around in like boxer shorts all day. It's, it's kind of gross. This, this is one of my great crusades is the crusade against athleisure. And so uh, this athleisure, Athleisure is cultureless, ahistorical, androgynous slop in physical form. There is no think about athleisure. It's it is anti-culture, cultureless globalism, androgynous globalism without any culture, anti-culture, consumerism in physical form. There's no distinction of man and woman. There's no history behind it. Because when we talk about our garments, there's history behind garments. 
I focus on Ivy style and prep style. There's deep history between behind the fabrics and the garments and how it's worn. And it reflects our history here in America. Athleisure wear, athletic wear, this androgynous giving up. It is giving up. But if you really look at what it represents, it represents there is no history. There is no culture. There is no place. There is no form. It is just, it is also totally synthetic. There's no natural, organic uh, texture. There's no connection to the organic world. It It is synthetic uh, nothingness. That is what athleisure mm-hmm. is. And men, what I would say to men and what I say to men all the time is you look around and we see, we all know what's going on. Like I said, don't play stupid. People play stupid. Whenever they try to pretend what's going on, they say, oh, well, actually, they used to wear this. Actually, no. We know what's going on when a man puts on a dress. We know what's going on when a woman puts on a man's suit. We know exactly what's going on. I'm not going to play stupid. I'm not going to play our games. Look around. What game is being played is a melting down of forms, a destruction of forms, a destruction of creation, you could say. Creation as God created it. And mm-hmm. if you want to make a signal against that, you don't have to say anything. You can say it all in your aesthetic. As a man, you can present yourself as clearly a man, as a man with a culture and with a history and a strong man and a man where connected to the natural world, wearing natural fabrics, clothes that make him not only look strong, but feel strong, not only feel confident, but look confident. And it's mm-hmm. clothing that you can, every single time you step out onto the street, you are sending a signal. You are, you are representing something. So what do you want to represent? Do you want to represent just the descent into this formless slop? Or do you want to say something else? Do you want to say something higher? Do you want to affirm something stronger for man? And other men see you. And even if they don't say that you're changing their mind, you'll change one of their minds. You will. And same thing for young boys. Same thing if you have sons. If you have sons, it is incredibly important for you to teach them a an aesthetic language, an approach to dressing. You don't want to turn them over to the mainstream society. So that's what I say to yeah, me. Absolutely. And I, I could not agree with you more. And I think it's very well put to say that the athleisure and the sort of nothingness that is the 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 sweatshirt and sweatpants kind of uh, part of our of our cultural of phenomenon of of clothing that's not even style is just androgynous nothingness and yeah. it's on purpose trying to blur the lines and it's on purpose trying to be as boring and as undignified as possible and so and when what you said at the very beginning of this episode i think was also so well put that clothing is part of our dignity and we see that um, even throughout scripture and how, um, of course, after the fall in Genesis, when man is told to clothe himself and to make sure that we aren't revealing certain parts of our bodies um, to the public and we have that inherent dignity, but there's in every aspect of everything we do, as the Bible also tells us, we should be doing it to the glory of God. And mm-hmm. so if we are man versus woman, you know, I as a woman should be dressing in order to 
affirm the dignity of who God created me to be, which is a woman, female. And and when we talk about, you know, I think a lot of churches and and some people take it to an extreme when they talk about modesty. But what does modesty really mean? It means to not be have a loud expression that goes against um, what God created us to be. We should we should have modesty in understanding that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in you know the um, as a Christian, I, I you know obviously would would affirm that now um, the the Holy Spirit resides within us as believers, and so we in in understanding that our bodies are a reflection of to whom we belong, which is God himself, um, the, the highest of all authorities, we need to reflect that in everything that we do. And so I think it's really fascinating as well, when you're talking about this being a reflection of culture, instead of this sort of androgynous nothingness, we see this also in in aesthetics everywhere. And there's another account on social media that I follow called Culture Critic. I don't know if next time you've seen this account, but the entire point of, of this account is to show um, the the type of architecture that was so beautiful historically. And now contrasting that to like the 70s and onward, that is bland and boring and nothing. And it's almost like the the point of it is to say, look at when we reflect God's creation, how beautiful everything is versus when we don't have hope and we've excised God from society, then we have this bland, boring, void, vapid nothingness that that doesn't reflect beauty and doesn't reflect a creator. And we see that in clothing. We see that in culture. We see that in art. We see that everywhere. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't agree more. I can't agree more with every single thing that you said, because I talk about clothing, but all of this is related. All of these things are related. It's like an onion. You know, not, not only is there an onion of layers where you're looking at fabric, but you go deeper and deeper and it means something about values and it means something about culture. Then it means something about creation. It means something about reality itself. Not only is there a sort of onion layer where you peel it back within only clothing, but this clothing is also just a smaller representation of the same phenomenon that we see in architecture, and that we see even in ideas. Think about this. Our clothing is so sterile and not ours, but people, the kind of clothing that is pushed onto people today is so sterile. It's so degrading. It's, it is ugly and it does make people feel bad. Same thing about our ideas. You can even have ugly ideas. You can have ideas that are sterile and ugly and that are devoid of anything meaningful. And it goes to architecture, to ideas, to thoughts, to uh, our clothing, to everything. It's at every level. And like you said, there is this aspect of this is where it gets to a deeper religious point, talking about holiness and dignity and modesty and talk about what are you, what are you representing? And like you said, with modesty, we all have... Uh, some people might be more devoted and they're very modest. Some people slightly less, but the, if you're engaging with this idea about what that means and you're aiming toward God, you're aiming toward holiness, you're aiming toward a reaff reaffirmation of creation. And we do, like you said, then we wear clothes in Genesis. We start wearing clothes and we do cover ourselves up and these clothes are civilization and these clothes are then what we have. We, we cover ourselves up and they represent what is underneath those clothes, man or woman. And every single time you, I think that people don't think 
they think it's only about the fabric, but it's not only about the fabric. This is not materialism. It's not trite materialism. It's not just, it, no, that's not it. It's not just commercialism. We're talking about a deeper thing. We're talking, it's religious. We're, it's mm-hmm. philosophical. It's cultural. It's historical. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, the key point to, for people to start to think about. They need to realize, or start to think about, huh, wow. So what does that mean? what I'm wearing and, and how do I, am I representing my faith and my culture and my people? And uh, am I really doing that right? Am I really aiming for good? Am I really, what am I doing here? And what's really going on? It's not just fabric. Yeah. And making these decisions that are based on a true philosophy and the truth of the Bible and the truth of God, that we are uh, made man and and women, male and female, and doing everything that we do for the glory of God. Because some of these people, when we're talking about modesty, for example, modesty doesn't mean being bland and boring. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that if you if you want to be, um, for example, feminine, that mm-hmm. somehow you need to then completely take away any sort of um, sexual appeal. Because mm-hmm. the whole idea of being feminine is to look beautiful. And there is a component of human sexuality with that, which in the context of marriage in the Bible in the right context is a good thing. And so it's not to say that, um, you know, men can't look good or women can't look beautiful and, and that modesty, if done or exercised properly means that we take all um, femininity and human sexuality out of it, because then we're actually denying that mm-hmm. part of God's creation. And so I think when mm-hmm. we're talking about these concepts of modesty and beauty and aesthetic and culture, the the bigger overarching point that I think mm-hmm. we're, we're getting to in this conversation is that it's all a reflection of our creator. And we can't just assume and have the, the this assumption that whatever is the current mantra in the culture, which right now is this androgynous slop, I love how you put that, <laughs> that that's the right thing to do. And that, oh, I'm just going to partake of this culture without thinking about what am I expressing and what parts of culture should I reject and say, no, that is actually a false ideology represented in that style. And therefore, I am going to reject that. And I'm going to purposefully choose different ways to present myself and present my body. I mean, so, and it's the same thing, too, with this whole um this whole notion of like working out and how that, how, how apparently according to the leftists, like working out and being fit is now like white supremacist or mm-hmm. racist or something <laughs> like ridiculous like that. But it's like all of the leftists in these queer androgynous slop, they glorify obesity mm-hmm. and, um, and, and really unhealthy, ugly, versions of themselves instead of saying, how am I presenting the best version of myself and understanding the good in nature? And it's not that we all have to be bodybuilders or look like movie stars or, you know, some of the the ways that I think we rightly critique the image and ideal of a perfect man or woman. Nobody, you know, we all have different bodies and that's fine. But we all, but the point is we should all be trying to be the best version of ourselves, not for ourselves, but for God. Exactly. I, everything you everything you said was just dead on it's this modesty that we're i'll try to go through all of it so i don't forget because you said so many great things modesty is not about being bland it's not about being uh 
army green only wearing black you can't tell the difference between the forms that's the point you're su- that's not the point you're supposed to be able to see the difference between the forms we're not mm-hmm. getting rid of the forms and it's not about only wearing one color monochrome absolutely not i focus on ivy style and preppy style we specifically have lots of color we are full of color this is a, a specific historical historical style in America. And we have lots of color. It's not about dower dressing with a sense of dignity, dressing as a man with a sense of seriousness. Doesn't mean that you're an undertaker. Doesn't mean that you're dower. It doesn't mean that you're gloomy and grim. No, not at all. And so when we talk about modesty, it's not about that. And it's not about being dower. And like you said about this reaffirming what this leftist idea where they just glorify the most unhealthy modes of being and behavior, the same thing with clothing. They, the, this culture that we see that we're up against glorifies ways of being and ways of behaving and ways of, and ways of dressing yourself that make you miserable. And that is kind of the point is that men, no wonder men are so beat down. No, no wonder men are so low because their clothes among a hundred other things, beat them down, drag them down. And that is what's encouraged. What's encouraged is to pursue ways of being and behaving and dressing that will make you feel worse about yourself. And that's a really wicked thing. It really is. And so when we, when I talk about the importance of dressing with decency, it is, and like you said, not about comparing ourselves to others. It's not about comparing yourself to others. It's about your uh, your own decency and dignity. It's about the dignity of every man. It's about the decency that we are all created in the image of God. And we all have this capability and this ability. And what people are up against is something, it's almost like someone's being pulled over their eyes. They're almost wearing uh, lenses they can't see. And so I just see how there's a hundred things that beat down men. And I, like I said, I speak specifically about men. And clothing is just one of them. But that's something we can change. We can't change certain things. There are certain things beyond our control. But what we can do is we have, I say you are the total dictator. You are a monarch of your personal aesthetic. You can make any choice you want. You don't have to wait for the culture to say it's okay to dress in a strong image. You can start doing that today. You can start dressing in a way that resonates with the way your father dressed or your grandfather dressed or your great-grandfather dressed. You can start to dress in a way that resonates historically and culturally with your culture and your people. And that Mm -hmm. is a totally different worldview than what we're surrounded in right now. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you can make the choice today to start reflecting in what you look like and how you present yourself, uh, what your worldview is. And, you know, I love, and I've always loved the quotation from the great philosopher that is Coco Chanel that said, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, she said, um, clothes won't change the world, but the women who wear them will. Right. And I always loved that because I thought everybody knows what men and women know that when you don't look great and you look like, you know, the people of Walmart, you're not having a good day. But when you put yourself together and you have, you know, whether it's a great suit for a man or it's, you know, a great feminine aesthetic for a woman and you feel good about how you look, that does change your attitude. It changes your view of yourself. It changes 
um, others view of you because you are projecting your worldview in that. And so when you look at, um, at fashion and you look at what the expression is that that particular designer or that that particular type of clothing like athleisure is trying to to tell what story are they trying to tell through that what image are they trying to project we all know this and we know this consciously it's not even subconsciously and Mm -hmm. so i think the overall message here that you're presenting is absolutely 100 percent correct that we need to have a reflection of how we present ourselves, a reflection of a truthful God-based worldview. And that there's a measurable difference between men and women, beauty and ugly, right and wrong, uh, modesty and modesty, all of those things. And we need to think through that and not just accept the presumptions of our current culture and the androgynous nothingness. We need to, on purpose, say, I am a man or I'm a woman made in the image of God. I have inherent dignity and worth, and I'm going to reflect that in the image of God that is stamped upon me that other people can see through what I look like. So um, next I salvage really appreciate that closing thoughts. Yeah. Because this has been a fascinating conversation and I absolutely support and love uh, what you're doing with, with this message. Thank you. Thank you. I, the message that I would say, the closing thoughts I would say is that if you're a guy or a girl, but I speak specifically to guys, but to everyone, you might oppose what's going on out there. You might not be able to change all of it because it might be beyond your control. And maybe you can't even say with your words, with your voice, every single, uh, every single day what you want to say, but you can say it in your aesthetic. And you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Same thing about an outfit. In our world, if you're a man, if you reject this slop, if you reject the infantile, low version of man, the version of man, the clothing that the mainstream culture wants you to wear, if you reject that and you put effort into your personal aesthetic and you reflect your culture and you present a strong image of man, you are doing real damage to the negative, cruel forces that are trying to lower the world aesthetically. You really are. You are saying something for good. You're saying something for good, and you can say that in your personal aesthetic. You can represent man and strength, and that will rub off. The more you do it, other men will be inspired. And even men who are younger or young kids, young boys, maybe your sons or maybe your nephews, or that is how culture works. What do you want to represent? Do you want to be a force for good, for higher man? or lower androgynous nothingness. And we can all make that choice every single day when we wake up in the morning. It doesn't mean dressing formally every single day. If you'd like to dress formally, do it. But there's different times. There's a time for everything to get biblical with it. And so there is a time for informality. There's a time for formality as well. But in every instance, formality or informality, every day of your life, you can send a higher signal. You can represent something higher of man rather than lower. You can do real good for spreading something that is a good message rather than a negative one. Mm-hmm. Really well said. So Necktie Salvage, uh, follow him on social media, on Twitter, which is now X. Um, I, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> the speaking of androgynous nothingness, it's just a giant X. But uh, really appreciate your insights. And uh, this has been a really fascinating discussion. So thanks so much for coming on and uh, hope to speak with you on more of this soon. Thank you. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
Welcome back. And for the last segment on a Friday morning, uh, we just we just have to make fun of Mike Pence a little bit. Um, so I, I don't even know why he is running for president. He's not pulling well. He did he did actually uh, make the debate stage though. That is uh, a week from Wednesday. So we'll see how that goes. And that was actually shocking. I think it's uh, possibly because. Uh, he he came out and said that he was going to have new merch. Um, I don't know a single person, frankly, who uh, really just thinks, you know what I want to spend 40 bucks on is uh, Mike Pence merch. But, you know, but hey, it's available if you want to take part. Uh, but earlier this week, he posted an ad that uh, just got roundly mocked on social media uh, for a very good reason. So it's Mike Pence and he has... Uh, this big red truck and, you know, he pulls up to it and he's wearing the button down with the little microphone. So, you know, clearly we're just we're just catching him out of the blue. Right. You know, this is totally not staged um, like a lot of these these presidential ads are. And he gets out of the truck and he makes his way you know over to the to the gas station and he's putting uh, the handle in in the pump and he's talking about how, you know, gas prices are a big deal and what the Pence plan is going to be. And what is hilarious about this ad is that constantly through the entire like two minutes, you can hear the beeping of the gas pump where he took the pump out of the machine because any of us who routinely put gasoline in our vehicles know that you have to actually push the select your gas type button so that the machine will not beep at you. But um, apparently whoever approved this ad for Mike Pence just uh, kind of left that out or they just didn't actually review the material. But um, it was it was just so funny because it's so obviously staged and um, it looks like this ad is, you know, he's running in uh, for president in like 1992. And, you know, he probably has somebody with like a, an old camcorder that's recording this. And it was actually a flashback for me um, to homeschool. And and uh, we actually did in homeschool mock presidential elections in 1992. So I was, if I can do my math right, I was like Eight, maybe. And we actually did. So in our little homeschool group, we divided into two campaigns and we had our candidates. Uh, my older brother was one candidate. I think that we ended up like changing the parties because in homeschool, who wants to run as a Democrat, right? So, you know, we didn't like put good and evil on, on the teams, but um, we had two campaigns for president. We had our two candidates. My older brother was one. And then we had our little campaign teams and we actually made commercials. And it's so funny going back and looking at these and, you know, saying paid for by the committee, you know, to elect, you know, for president. And Everything that we did just in our little homeschool group was actually probably better done than this Mike Pence ad. And so I was talking to my mom when this came out and I was like, this reminds me of our homeschool days. And it was just and it was so much fun. But it was so funny because who on Mike Pence's team could have possibly approved that and thought, you know, what would be a great idea is putting this out on social media for everybody to consume, everybody to then make memes, make videos, make these mock ads. Uh, somebody actually put on there as well. Uh, there was this video that, you know, some of these gas stations that that have a uh, instead of just the beep in the background will actually say, please select your gas quantity or please select, please select. And so, you know, that whole thing was over his entire ad. And I was just, I was laughing so hard. This is what I end up doing when I'm prepping for radio the next morning. I end up just scouring social media and looking at all this, you know, from like 
midnight to 1 a.m. because some of this is just so funny and it's totally pure comedy. But this is where we're at as, you know, a, a conservative GOP to have, you know, the, the these are the people, the best in the business, apparently, that can put out these type of ads that are just as good in quality as homeschooling in 1992. So I think that actually is an ad for homeschooling right there. We were well ahead of our time. And, uh, you know, we had camcorders. We had the whole thing. But um, you can check this out, this ad for yourself, if you, too, want to laugh tonight at 1 in the morning or, you know, now, wherever you're at. Um, It is at Mike Pence's uh, X page, at Mike underscore Pence. So whether this will come out in the debate and anyone will make fun of him for it, We don't know. We'll have to tune in. But uh, we are out of time for Jenna Ellis in the morning on this Friday. Make it a great weekend and continue to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ everywhere you are at. And you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net.